Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's going on, guys? Joe McCall here, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Glad you're here. I've got a good guest on today. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Steve Trang. He's from the Phoenix area, and he's with a uh, podcast, a company called Real Estate Disruptors. Been doing business for a long, long time, very successfully. He's one of the biggest real estate investors in the country, doing a lot of deals, mainly out of Phoenix. And he's coached and helped train some of the biggest real estate investors in the country. And he's been doing this for a long, long time. I wanted to get him on the show to talk about kind of the state of the economy that we're in right now. It's actually the state of the real estate and real estate investing market that we're in. Like what's going on, right? Is it doom and gloom? Is it, ah, it's not a big deal. Hey, we're at the precipice of something great or, oh my gosh, everything's falling apart. Buckle up. We're going, we're in for a wild ride. I don't know. I mean, maybe Steve knows, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's just full of hot air, but he's a funny guy. He's got a good sense of humor. And I think we're going to have a good podcast here talking about what is going on. He's also in Phoenix too, because kind of like Phoenix sees pretty much the extremes of the high end of the markets and the low end of the markets, and they have wild swings and fluctuations. And a lot of times what you see happening in the hot markets like Phoenix or Vegas or Southern California or whatever, you'll see eventually happen in the rest of America, right? And that's just my theory and philosophy. Every market is different. So going to be a great show today. First of all, I wanted to do a couple house cleaning things first. Housekeeping things, house cleaning things. If you're listening to this on the audio podcast, what's going on, guys? I'm really glad you're here. I've been doing my audio podcast since 2011. I don't know, 1300 episodes or something like that. Sometimes I do podcasts where I'm going to the YouTube. Sometimes I'm doing podcasts just for the audio. This one is one for both, but I'm really glad you're here listening in. I appreciate you guys listening in on the podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my channel. Leave me a review. You can still leave reviews on sites like Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, what's it called? I don't remember. Some of them you can leave reviews, so I'd appreciate the reviews. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, give me a thumbs up. And I've been doing a lot more content lately, teaching a lot more things, interviewing people, and I'm really enjoying this. Trying to trying to get more content out there that delivers a lot of value and is helpful for you guys. All right. Also, one more thing. Have you heard of Deals with Joe yet? Hmm? Dealswithjoe.com is a new program I just put together. It's just seven dollars. And I basically thought to myself, if I were to start all over again from scratch with no money in a brand new market and I had to make money in 30 days or less, what would I do? And I would wholesale houses. Now, a lot of you know I do and teach vacant land. That's my main shtick right now. I'm doing a lot of vacant land deals. But the thing with vacant land is you need money to do direct mail. So if I had no money, I would do houses. And why is that? Because with houses, there is a huge demand from buyers. There's a lot of money out there looking to buy houses. And so in some ways, it's easier to sell a good deal that's a house rather than a good deal that's a vacant lot. Because vacant land, there's just not as many buyers that want those deals. With houses, I can go into any market in the country and I can find a thousand buyers that are looking for deals. With vacant land, there may be a hundred buyers, right, in that one market. With houses, there's thousands. So if I had to start all over again from scratch, I'm going to take you on a little 30-day journey with me at dealswithjoe.com. And, you know, just use it as a tool belt. If you're doing vacant land, 
and you're crushing it and killing it, that's great. I mean, that's still mainly what we're doing in our house on our deal side of the business is we're flipping vacant land. But if you want to learn like the quick, simple, fast, easy way to make a quick thousand bucks, two thousand, three thousand dollars, then check out dealswithjoe.com. It's a brand new program. I just released it. I'm really, really proud of it. And I think you're going to like it. It's just $7, dealswithjoe.com. All right, check that out. Let's bring on Steve Trang from Real Estate Disruptors. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing wonderful. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your patience. This is our third take, but thankfully we didn't get very far. My computer kept on crashing. Oh, what a day, but I'm glad you're here, man. How are things going for you in Phoenix? It's going, it's going. I think the, the key right now is surviving, right? Like uh, for, for the longest time, it's always been like, you know, go, 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 crush, dominate, scale, you know, do all these things. Right now we're running lean and doing deals to be prepared for when things go crazy again. That's interesting. You're in this kind of like, things are slowing down a little bit mm -hmm. or a lot. And then you're, you're kind of stashing cash for the crash or are you just staying lean and trim for- I'm just, uh, we're just staying ready. We're staying present. We're paying attention, right? Like uh, we're not going hard on the marketing and we're not going hard on having a big sales team. I think that was really cool, right? From like 2018 to like 20, 2022. But I would say we're cautious. We're not overly pessimistic, but we're definitely not optimistic either. So we get to see, like you were saying earlier in Phoenix, we get to see a little bit of everything. This is where all the iBuyers come into town. This is where if you're going to try something, you know, 72 sold started here. So like everyone starts here. And so when the hedge funds start or buying here, they're buying here. So at this moment, we're taking a wait and see approach because we're seeing interest rates are very, very effectively impacting demand. And until we see a shift one way or the other, where we know, okay, we can take a breath now or like, holy crap, this sucks. Now we go in. But either way, we're just waiting for one thing uh, for sure to happen, either a recovery or hell in a handbasket, then we're going to be super excited. Do you feel like the, the uh, population is growing in Phoenix? Is it still- It's absolutely growing. Absolutely That's crazy. Right. I don't know why anybody would want to live in Phoenix in the first place. No offense, but I used to live there, so I can say it. It is so stinking hot in the summer. It's a tad, it's a tad warm, right? But look, if you got if you've got AC units and you have cars and you have the best, the best here, remote start, you'll be all right. That's if you get remote start, point. you'll be all right, right? When I lived there, it was in the mid to late '80s, and they didn't have remote start back then. I was a kid. Yeah, see, in the mid in the early '80s. Uh, we were living here where we didn't have air conditioning in the car, right? Like my dad tells me like about like he would cry at times because he would put his son in the car, right? And I'm sweating uncontrollably as a kid because we didn't have air conditioner. So growing up here, it was not unusual for us to get into the car. And it was a tiny uh, hatchback brown, I want to say Chevy with no AC. And that's what, that's what I grew up with. So everything, well, everything too. is better compared to that. Well, and you know, you remember the cars would have on the front side windows, they'd have the, the windows that would tilt sideways, like, and so that you could redirect the air towards you. Do you remember doing that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wasn't in the front, so I didn't get to do it, but I remember those. Yeah. You could adjust it a little right by the side mirror. Yeah. Make, <laughs> get all the wind blowing on you. Uh, so anyway, no offense to anybody living in Phoenix. In fact, I'm going to be out there in January. Do you golf, Steve? Absolutely not. Um, so I, <laughs> golf is one of those things. I have this, so my superpower is irrational confidence, right? I believe in my superhuman capabilities that are unwarranted. 
And golf has a way of just piercing that and damaging it all day, every day. And humbling. Right? So I have this, I have this extremely high confidence and it helps in many ways. It helps me get a lot of things done and golf just withers and attacks it. And so I, I remove golf so I can keep my irrational confidence. <laughs> so we won't be hanging out together much when I'm there, <laughs> I guess. My daughter has a gymnastics meet and uh, yeah. so I'm going to be out there for like three or four days. It'd be cool to see you. We'll talk about it offline, but if you have any friends- We could do top golf. Top golf, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be in Phoenix in January, why not be golfing every single day? I just don't. Or hanging out the open. Sure. All right. So anyway, Phoenix is a great market. You see a lot of population growth, big demand for housing. You see the big swings going up and down. Now, tell me what's been going on the last twelve months in Phoenix. What are you seeing from a real estate investor's perspective? Are are rehabbers, the fix and flippers, are they losing their shorts? Or uh, I think there are some that are losing their shorts. So I know, like, I'm, I'm fortunate. That I'm connected with some of the, the the good flippers, and they did all right. You know, uh, the seasoned flippers, the guys that have been doing this for a while, pay attention to a lot of different data points. They're paying attention to what we have out here is the Cromford Market Index, so that kind of monitors supply and demand. They're paying attention to the Fed rates. They're paying attention to future projections, right? So they're keeping an eye. Like the good flippers are keeping an eye in the future. So like the only thing that caught them by surprise was COVID, which actually ended up being a boon for them. It was actually a positive. But beyond that, so they, they have a decent eye and they know what's going on. So when things shifted really, really quickly, they had already slowed down, right? Like they were paying attention. Not, like the Fed rate jump in June of 2022 was the one that we all felt. But there were actually rate hikes well before then, right? There were rate hikes, there were two or three before the one in June. It was June is the one that got everyone's attention because it was like a three-quarter jump. Right. So the guys that were good were already prepared for this. So the guys then that really lost their shorts were the ones that weren't paying attention to the macroeconomics. They weren't paying attention to what's going on at a national level. They're just feeling their frenzy because wholesalers like me were like, buy this now or we'll sell to someone else. Right. So the those flippers definitely got burnt. The people that got burnt the most though weren't the flippers. People that got burnt the most were the ones that are selling to the hedge funds. Because to sell to the hedge fund, you had to double close, right? Hedge fund's not going to pay you more than 15K assignment fee. And, you know, in Phoenix, we don't settle for 15K assignment fees. So you had to double close for the hedge funds. And so you, I know multiple people that closed on the 14th, watched their rate hike jump, and then the banks, the, the hedge funds canceled on the 16th. And these guys were just left holding the bag on all these houses that they overpaid for. So not so the, there not the any other buyers. That, there are other buyers buying deals there. But they're not buying yeah. them at the prices hedge funds are buying them, right? No, but hedge funds are underwriting based off 2029 or 2037, right? Like everyone's underwriting on the past three to six months or where it could be in three months. Hedge funds are underwriting seven to 10 years in the future. And if you're underwriting seven to 10 years in the future, you're not using today's numbers. So you can justify an unreasonably high offer, right? Because like before, like um, if you're an appraiser, you underwrite based off three ways. You appraise based off three ways. And they use the highest and best use model, right? Like what's it cost to rebuild this house? What's it based off the last three comps? And uh, what is it based off of rental rates, right? Like those are three ways that you underwrite houses uh, as an appraiser. And the hedge funds brought a fourth model, which is what do we believe this house will be worth in 2029 or 2037? If you're basing on that model, you don't have to use like real numbers like you and I have to use. Okay. So what are the hedge funds doing today? Are they still buying at all? Or They're buying, but man, they are... You know, or to vilify anybody who I don't, people, I don't think people really vilify the, the hedge funds enough. But if you were to vilify anybody, it'd be those guys because these guys are coming in at houses that are already listed below the previous comps, 
and they're coming in like another 30 to 50K below. They're doing basically what the wholesalers do, right? But these are MLS deals. So like they're MLS comps. So like the next house that goes on the market in that neighborhood is going to see that sold comp. When you and I wholesale deals, it's off market. No one really pays attention to it, right? And the flipper sets the, sets the comp, which raises the comps, right? When a hedge fund buys, they're buying off the MLS and you're seeing those comps go down. So they're, they're steadily bleeding the market. So you're starting to see the, you know, like if you go to Redfin or Zillow, you see the trend line of house prices and stuff. You're starting to see that starting to go down in Phoenix? On the outskirts, on the outskirts. So like Phoenix is pretty big, right? We're, we're one of the largest, I think, six metros uh, population-wise. Uh, if you look at Metro Phoenix, we're doing okay, right? Like if you're downtown Phoenix in like 25 minutes, you're doing fine. But outside of that, we have uh, Loop 101. You used to be here, right? So you remember Loop 101? If you're outside of Loop 101, if you're west of Loop 101, you're in trouble. If you're really far south of Loop 202, you're in trouble. So if you, it's that, um, you know, is it drive to you qualify kind of deal? Like these are the locations that are a little bit further out. Really? Those are the areas that are getting getting demolished, uh, not demolished, but having hurt quite a bit. Okay, by the market. But that's something I knew from 2007, right? Like I started, right, before the first crash or my first crash. And so like when everything went crazy last year and my team was like, hey, like this market's falling apart. I was like, everything's gonna be fine. Like, okay, so we're still buying. It's like, hell yeah, we're still buying. So we got this deal on Buckeye. I said, well, not Buckeye, right? Like, because <laughs> in my experience, when things get bad, it's in the outskirts. So yes, we're still buying, but not Buckeye. Okay, interesting. So what, do, what are you seeing for a wholesaler? What are you telling a, a new wholesaler getting into the business? Where should you be focusing your efforts? Where should you be focusing your, your marketing? So for me, my rule has always been, uh, we always buy at median prices and below. I don't like to go above median. When the market shifts, the upper above median, they get hurt more because they get affected by interest rates. Or, you know, if the stock market tumbles, it affects everything above median. Median and below, someone always has to live there. So for me, I've always targeted median prices and below. And in a wholesalers, I say get in and out as quickly as you can, right? Get in, get out. You don't want to have a bunch of properties. If you're flipping, again, like I don't know a lot of people undertaking large flips, right? They're taking like carpet paint you know, uh, maybe some landscaping, but if it requires plumbing, right? Like it has to be such a steep discount to justify replumbing a home just because it takes longer. You know, if you have to get permits, I guess probably the rule is if you have to get permits, <laughs> like you better get a really, really deep, deep discount because we don't know, right? Right now it's November. We don't know what it's going to be like in February. We just don't know. It's, it's anyone's best guess. So are the contractors slowing down as well? Are you seeing contractors still busy? Our prices coming contractors down are busy. Down. Contractors are busy, but the demand has definitely gone down. Right? Like it's kind of funny. Uh, I had a couple of buddies. Like it's nice that these contractors return my calls again. It's nice that the contractors are reaching out to me to see if I need any work. Right? Like a year ago, they weren't returning calls. Right? Or a year and a half ago, they weren't returning calls. They're they're demanding the highest rate, which rightfully so. Right? Supply and demand. It is what it is. But now the shoe's on the other foot. So now the contractors are being respectful and calling you back and so on. I have a friend who's a contractor here in St. Louis and um, he would intentionally bid stupid high just so he would not get the job and he'd still get the bids accepted, like double what he would normally charge. And he couldn't believe it. Now he's like, yes, crap. Like, cause now he's got to do the job, right? But he's going to make, <laughs> so he, I think those days are over for a little while at least, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's over for a while. I We'll see when it, when it gets crazy again. But, you know, I think everyone's paying attention to the mortgage rates. I think mortgage rates is probably the biggest 
factor that we're all looking at. Do you see do you see him going up or staying flat or down? Man, it's so hard to say. Like there's so many freaking variables. There very few things that have more variables that go into it, right? You got like you got inflation, you got the job market, you got recession, you got credit card debt. Like it's just like all these different factors that go into it. Like who knows? I mean, and then let's just assume all those things are going right. Right now we're in the middle of two wars that were being talked about in the media, not to mention all the other wars that are going on. Who knows what's ha- what happens? And that and that's the biggest thing. Well, that's, this is why I love wholesaling so much, right? It's because you're just flipping paper. You're just in and out in one or two months, right? Like, And it, the, the great thing about the housing, it's not like the stock market that shifts on a dime. Like next day, it's down 20%. Or crypto, it's down you know, 40% <laughs> in one day. 90%. But housing, it's, it's much slower, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times you can see the writing on the wall if you're watching the numbers. Um, and this is why I think it's so important to listen to podcasts like ours, because you get to talk to people, hear stories of what's going on. It gives you a little heads up. So at least you can be a little more cautious. But this is why, again, I love wholesaling. You, you can look back on the last two, three months of data and see who's buying properties. What are they buying them for? Right. And where are they buying these properties at? And then just go get what they want and just get in and out really, really fast. Uh, do you want to go controversial here? Yeah. So I have not heard anyone talk about this, right? So we can we get in trouble. We can get canceled first. for this. We can get canceled for this. Who knows? I have not heard anybody talk about how illegal immigration is affecting housing. <laughs> this is interesting. Okay. Let's talk about illegal right? immigration. Right? Because we have millions of people coming through the borders, right? And they're getting spread throughout the country. But like, no one, I have not heard one person in the podcasts, on a YouTube, in the news. But guess what? Having a bunch of people come in here does. It affects demand. So like when people are complaining that people are buying houses and rents going up, I haven't heard one person talk about, hey, you bring in hundreds of thousands of people into a population that was at 1.5 million, like 5 million people, it's going to affect rental demand. Interesting. But I haven't heard one person talk about it. And that's what the hedge funds are buying based off of, right? I have heard uh, some guys that do a lot of owner financing love the illegal immigrants. That's just money? Well, and I I may be offended a million people by calling them illegal immigrants. What are they supposed to be called? Migrants? Immigrants? I believe believe constitutionally they're illegal immigrants. Okay. Whatever they're called. I know a lot of guys that love, that do a lot of owner financing love these guys because um, they can't get approved for a loan, right? They work really hard. And they uh, don't want to get kicked out. They want to stay there and not cause any problems. Um, and not. And so they will like, they pay on time. They take care of the properties. They fix them up themselves and they will pay forever. Yeah. I don't know right. if that's true or so, not. If I'm stereotyping, I'm, I apologize. I mean, there's, there's like, I mean, what you're describing, right? It's kind of like Section 8 in red states. Yeah. Right? Section 8 in red states, like they're in a good program that's taking care of the subsidizing their rent. They don't want to break the rules, right? So- I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, it's hard to say, right? It's conjecture. I don't, I, I'm not personally involved in that. But yeah, I think if we're talking about pricing, uh, if we're pricing it based off of rent and based off of like, you know, cap rates and this and that, which is how hedge funds are buying properties. I don't know why that's not part of the conversation. Interesting. Okay. So let's not talk about what you think we should do. Cause I don't know if I want to know what you should, what you <laughs> think we should do. <laughs> I don't know what the right solution is. It's a complicated problem. It's an, an incredibly nuanced issue, but I think that if we're underwriting or we're trying to invest, these are factors that should be considered, right? Like, because again, it affects rent, which affects cap rates, which affects what an investor is willing to pay, right? So then are we buying it because of demand from, oh, I guess with investors buying it, it takes houses off the market for either first-time home buyers or move-up buyers, 
and that drives up demand. So like we we the the constant complaints today is and and the reason why we don't think the market's going to go down, the argument for why the market won't go down is there's a lack of inventory, it's a lack of supply. Well, if you have people paying rent and you're whether you're cash flowing or you're doing well with it, you're not going to list it. So mm-hmm. I think those are all factors. Again, I don't feel I don't really hear a lot of people talking about. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about new home construction. Are you seeing new home construction slowing down in Phoenix? Uh, we're seeing new home construction slowing down as far as permits. They're not pulling as many permits, and I think these guys are trying to get out too. You know, uh, if we saw what the cycle was again uh, last time we went through this from 07 to 11, those guys got crushed, right? Like they all. I think Centex was the one that was one of the big ones that got folded into all the other ones, right? Like they all kind of consolidate, combine, right? Consolidate, there's the word, right? And so right now what we're seeing with new builds, they're hard to compete against uh, if, you're, uh, if you're trying to sell your home against a new build. And the reason why is that these guys are willing to give away the farm to get the houses off the books. So, you know, supposedly realtors aren't you know, affected by commissions, right? Supposedly. But I'm hearing new bills are offering 3% plus a 5,000 bonus commission, right? And you know that the way to compete right now, because you're kind of playing with house money, right? Like you're just trying to move the property fast. Uh, but the new builds, they're willing to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, give massive concessions. So you can have two houses in the same neighborhood, right? One's a resale, one's a new bill for 300K. But that new bill is willing to do 3% buyer's agent, 5,000 bonus commission, Plus, pay ridiculous amounts of money to buy down the rate, so your interest rate is closer to five than it is eight, and they're willing to give you twenty, thirty, forty thousand in design concessions, right? Like they're willing to do what it takes to get the property off the books. But how long that can't last forever, you know? I mean, that's what we've been seeing uh, as from when I got into real estate as on the license side from 07 till today. They very, very rarely change the price. Like the price is the last thing they want to do because that sets the comps, right, for the next. A set of homes they, they buy, right? They typically do phase one is this price, phase two is this price, phase three is this price. And they kind of raise it throughout the phases. But what they can change, what they can play, what the dial they can turn is buyer's agent commissions, buy down on rates, right? Or design center concessions, because that doesn't have to be disclosed anywhere. So no one knows exactly what they're giving away to get those homes sold. Which is interesting because if you're wholesaling or doing fix and flips, when you stay in that median price range, you're staying away from that new home construction, aren't you? If you're in the middle part of town, absolutely. On the outskirts of town, maybe not. But if you're in centrally located where it's safer to move in and out quickly, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about doing that or competing against new builds in that, in that price range. Let's talk about what you're seeing with Airbnb. Um, I've been hearing Airbnb has been posting record profits. Seems like they're doing well, but you hear also stories all the time how it's illegal and moral and fattening to have an Airbnb and these cities are doing everything they can to shut them down everywhere, right? What are you seeing in Phoenix? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's unfair to attack Airbnbs, right? I mean, I, I'm as a free market capitalist, I think, you know, if there's a demand for it, like, so be it. Uh, but everyone I know, not everyone I know, the people I'm talking to about Airbnbs are unhappy because things aren't going the way they're supposed to go. At the same time, though, the guys that are vocal and complaining about it are also the guys that bought it based off of Airbnb underwriting. And what I mean by that is, as an investor, we generally like that we've heard this in so many in countless books, right? Like the money is made on the purchase. The money is not made on the exit. The exit is the uh, the realization of the profits. The money is made on the purchase. If you're buying properties and your only underwriting is Airbnb, you're exposing yourself to a significant amount of risk, right? Like you have a wholesaler call you, right? Hey, Joe, I got a deal. 
Yeah, it's not. It's 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 really uh, it's not like a regular deal. Like this is a carport conversion. This is a value play. Hey, this is gonna make a great group home, right? And then rent the, the, the last, room. right? The rent or rent out by the room. And then the last iteration is, hey, this is gonna make a great Airbnb, right? Asplit's getting into that conversation as well, right? And nothing against Asplit. I think what their model is 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 fascinating. I think it's gonna be good. But like, if you have to underwrite it based off these innovative, newer, untested models. You're exposing yourself to to more risk than maybe necessary. Interesting. So a better model would be what? Just have multiple. When you're evaluating a deal, you're saying you should have multiple exit strategies. If you're going to buy it as an Airbnb rental, you should be able. You should be okay with it being a long term rental, right? If it pencils out as a long term rental, then it's just profit, right? It's just fat profits at, at Airbnb. Now, what's the challenge? You got other people underwriting as Airbnb, and they're pushing the prices up. That's, we saw we saw that a lot here in, in the Phoenix Scottsdale market, but there's an element of restraint that's required as an investor. You know, you heard me talk about in, in the beginning of this uh, show talking about I'm surviving. What I mean by that is, if other people want to be aggressive at this time, great. I wish you nothing but the best. My job as a business owner is to not have to hit the reset button. That's my job, right? I would love to make fat profits month in, month out, year in, year out. That's great. But having a lot of overhead, having a lot of employees, being you know. In my 40s, I'm not ready to start over, just not in a position to start over. My goal is not to make as much money right now. My goal is to be around for when the big money is to be made again. Interesting. So you don't know when that will happen, but you think it will. I mean, I think either things are going to calm down, interest rate. Let's say interest rates go down to 5% again. How crazy will our markets be? It'll be insane, right? Oh, yeah. Or let's say it crashes. Well, then at that point, a lot of people are going to be hurt. And Warren Buffett's expression, the time to buy real estate is when there's blood in the streets. So either we wait for the, the craze, the, what, what do they call it? The something demand, uh, unbridled enthusiasm, whatever that expression is. Oh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Was it, wasn't it Greenspan? Greenspan yeah. Coined it. Yeah. So whenever that happens, whenever that happens, great. Unbridled enthusiasm? No. It's, it's not that, but it's something like that, right? Um, so when we got that irrational okay, exuberance, there you go. Irrational yes. exuberance, right? When everyone's an expert, okay, wholesaling is going to be great, right? Cause the market's going up or if it crashes, then you have to take less, right? Like again, the, the fortunate, fortunate thing for me is I got to cut my teeth in the previous recession and you can see people were willing to take quite a bit less when there's no demand, when there's no demand, people are willing to accept 40, 50%, right? And then you can go ahead and sell it for 80, 90%. But right now, sellers are still holding out hope, right? They're willing to sell it for like 60, 65, you know, depending on the condition of the property. It may make sense, it may not. So either we wait for demand to wane even further and we do well or we wait for demand to go up. But this exact moment has to be a killer deal for me to want to buy it. Okay. So for you personally, are you doing mainly, well, I mean, your own personal business, what are you doing right now? Wholesaling, fix and flip or buy and hold? Wholesaling. Wholesaling. I don't want to fix and flip. Uh, Buy and hold. Not really, really uh, super optimistic about the future. I think there, there's some room for adjustments uh, for price improvements. So I'm not really doing a lot of buy and hold right now. So I think wholesale, get in, get out. That's our primary strategy today. What are you seeing working today in terms of marketing? Um, how are you getting leads? What, what are you doing there? So right now we're doing a lot of paper lead services. So it's Leadzolo and, uh, and Motivated Leads. Those are the core ones. Um, that's where we're getting. Oh, uh, and then... Up until very recently, we were dealing, doing deals with texting. As you know, there's this hiccup at the exact moment. 
So uh, I am talking to the folks at Launch, Launch Control to see how we can tweak it. Uh, so what's really fascinating, really fortunate for myself, is I get to go behind the scenes and talk to these guys about like, hey, how to adjust, you know, being a sales trainer, I get to say, here's how we can adjust the messages. Yeah. So super optimistic uh, about uh, texting coming back. So but that's interesting. You are optimistic about texting coming back. I am. Why is that? Because we know who needs to sell and we know how to get in front of them. Right. So like the problem is the message needs to, the message has been, Hey Joe, do you want a cash offer? Hey Joe, are you the owner of one, two, three main street? It's like right into the point. It's not, there's not a lot of like softening or communication, right? It's just extremely transactional from text message number one. Right. And if they raise their hand, great. Uh, right now, uh, what launch control is doing is they're broadening the message to have a higher deliverability rate and a higher response rate. And if we can get, as long as we can get in front of the people that need to sell, we're going to have to sift through more people. Having a generic message, we're going to have to sift through more people, right? But at the end of the day, I don't care how many people I have to get to. All I care is that the guy that has to sell replies to my text message. If I get the guy that needs to sell to reply to my text message, it's, it's game on, right? Because now I can get him on the phone. Which is the point of texting, which a lot of people forget, is to get them on the phone. Point of all marketing is to get the phone to ring. All marketing is just to get the phone to ring. So I'm optimistic that they can figure out the, the, the text, the broader text message, which I know a lot of people are upset about right now, right? But the broader text message to get people to reply and then have a conversation with the people that must sell. Because that's the point. Interesting. Point of marketing. So if somebody is looking to do some new, add some new marketing to channels, would you recommend them to contact Launch Control or Batch or any of these other REI reply, whatever, or just wait a little bit, give it some more time to settle down? I give it another probably two to six weeks for them to figure it out. Because the cool thing is, is that they're interacting directly with the carriers, right? Because like the major carrier, the major text carrier is Twilio, right? Like that's like the major one. They're having conversations with the carriers directly. Like, hey, what do you need from us so that you'll deliver our message? So long as someone's having a face-to-face -face Zoom call with the carrier about, hey, what do you guys need so that you'll deliver my messages? We're making progress. Everything can get better until Twilio stops returning the call. That is a whole different story, right? But you know, I know for a fact that Launch Control is talking directly to the carriers about like, hey, here's what we need. Here's what you guys need for us to get our message through. Here's the messaging we need, or we can't pay, we can't send text messages. And like the, I guess like a poorly kept secret is that the carriers require you to send messages through or not require, the carriers want your messages to get delivered because they get paid for every text message that gets delivered, right? So they want you to text, they just don't want you to harass. So like, where is the line? And that's where launch control is figuring that out. Okay. Okay. So not picking on launch control, but when, when a company like launch control, <clears throat> that is a text messaging marketing platform, when they're talking to Twilio or the Verizons or AT&Ts, are they telling them exactly what we're doing? Or are they kind of like sneakily saying, Hey, we're just, I don't know, like what, are they telling them, Hey, we're, we're real estate investors. We're looking for people who want to sell their house. Are they being honest with them? I can't answer that question directly, right? What I can say for sure, and I'm saying I can't speak, speak on it directly because I don't know for a fact, right? But what I can say for sure is that house buyers, we're not in the top three or top five on their radar, right? Like who are the biggest offenders? Joe, do you need uh, a new car warranty uh, service, right? Hey, Joe, it's time for your health care. Like, hey, it's time of year. We're going to do a uh, health insurance renewal. A uh, student loan. Hey, you were prepared to, to reconsolidate your student loan. Those are the three biggest offenders, right? So like, in the grand scheme of things, we're not top three. I think the windshield replacement, right? Or the other guys. Like, so we're not, 
the main offenders. So when they're making these changes, it's not because of the house buyers. It's because of all the industries combined uh, triggering uh, these 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 uh, adjustments or alterations required by the by the carriers. One of the things I, I'm a big FreedomSoft user. Love FreedomSoft. Rob Swanson does a great job. And a few months ago, when the whole TCPA things started happening, a lot of people were getting their they have to register their phone number and their business and all that, and we're getting shut down. And then it would take sometimes three to four weeks to re-register and get a bunch of failures and finally get approved. But now I'm seeing it done in one or two days for new people that are signing up, which is encouraging. So it seems like the companies that are on top of it, like FreedomSoft, they are, you're seeing much faster approvals for texting. However, FreedomSoft is also starting to implement better controls on the text messages that can be sent out. In other words, if you say in your text message, just following up on the offer I sent you, they'll flag it automatically, won't send it. And they'll make you change that word offer to something else. So I, I might change it to agreement or something like that. So it's encouraging. I'm glad to see that some progress is being made by that. I don't know if we're going to see the heyday that we saw before with texting, but... Oh, I mean, the heyday of like 2018, 2019 will never come back. I mean, that's <laughs> that was obscene, right? Yeah. All right. Let me ask you some questions about creative real estate. Let's talk about subject twos, lease options, owner financing, things like that. Um, obviously with, you know, mutual friend of ours, Pace and other guys that are teaching this stuff. And I've been teaching lease options, doing lease options since I remember 2007, eight, nine. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. That's what, when I quit my job in 2009 at the height of the market, I was flipping lease options. I was just doing lease option assignments and I was making great money doing that. Um, and then I started teaching it for, for years and years, but uh, so subject to lease options, they've been around a long time. Uh, are you still seeing that as a really hot strategy right now? Um, and, and what are you predicting any kind of crackdown or restrictions on that in the future with rates now going up? Because the banks are looking at, I'm thinking the banks are seeing, hey, this is a mortgage, 3% mortgage that's been taken over subject. And by the way, the banks knows, it. they know that these subject twos are going on and they're only going to call a loan due when you do something stupid, right? Yeah. You don't, you do, don't do the insurance right or you're late on a, on a payment or whatever. But are they going to start saying, whoa, I mean, we could, we could take that money and then deploy it and get 8%, we're, we're going to start, you know, stopping this. What, you know what I'm saying? What I'm going to share is not my own firsthand experience. I'll only share what I'm having with seasoned veterans. I've been doing this for a long time. And their perspective on this is that the bank's position, when you take over a rate at three, when the rates are at eight today, the way the banks feel is that you stole their loan. Not, hey, this doesn't feel right. Hey, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, no, their feelings in the boardrooms is these people are stealing our loans. Interesting. And if the, if the position is stealing, then you're going to have a lot stronger reaction to that, right? So I think that's one thing to consider. Um, the rule of thumb, again, conversations I'm having, is about 4%. When the delta is 4% is when they start seriously considering taking some of these loans back. The delta in terms of interest rate difference. Yeah, what you, yeah, right. So right now, I think we're around five, right? So those are the things that uh, could cause it to happen. So I can't, again, predict the future. These are the conversations I'm having. And having these conversations, it gives me cause for concern. But who knows what they will eventually do? I think it's bad for a bank to take a loan back because it hurts a lot of people along the way, right? Because you're you're enforcing, uh, you're, was it you're accelerating the note. And by accelerate, accelerating the note, you're actually foreclosing on somebody 
and foreclosing on somebody, there are people that can get hurt, right? So will they do it? Who knows? But there will be a lot of bad press. But again, you know, the banks are number one on the totem pole of all the industries. So they can pretty much do whatever they want, right? Like, hey, I hate Wells Fargo today. I'm going to go Bank of America. I hate Bank of America today. I'm going to go to Chase. And eventually I go back to Wells Fargo. Like, what other options do you have? It's like, I hate State Farm. I'm going to go to Allstate. All right, Allstate sucks. I'm going to Farmers. And you end up back at State Farm. It's crappy service no matter where you go. <laughs> they all suck. So I think it does, the banks aren't worried about ruining their names. What, what can you see... What can you say to investors to protect themselves if they are doing subject twos and lease options? Because I remember a couple of years ago, starting to see crazy, stupid deals where people would take over these loans with no equity, with no cash flow. It didn't matter because it was they were locking in a good rate. So now, I mean, that's how I, I got I got trashed in two thousand eight and nine because I had done the same thing back then. I don't think we're going to see the same crash happen again. But I'm just a little concerned. Some of these guys are buying. These subject twos without with with ignoring the fundamentals, no equity, no cash flow. You're just locking in that good rate. You're going to be holding it for the next idea is holding it for the next 20, 30 years. Makes me nervous. What, what are your thoughts on that? I hope you have a lot of money in the bank account, um, right? Because that's the only way that works. Um, when you're buying a property and your cash flow on 300 bucks a month, that's pretty cool, right? But then when you have tenant turnover, and you have to replace the carpet or you have to repaint or the AC goes out. That 300 bucks a month does not go very far, all right? So that's cash flowing 300 bucks a month and it doesn't go very far. If you're not cash flowing at all, I hope you're well funded because now you're going to have to redo the carpet or paint or roof or AC or anything else that breaks in the and, house. And you're going to have 3 or 4 months of mortgage payments to pay. If yeah. you're using a property management company and they find a new tenant for you, you have to pay them another month's rent as a tenant finder's fee. Yeah. It's it's a big, big deal. And, and yeah, that's so what, I guess to protect yourself, you better have really good cash flow or really deep pockets. And if you have really deep pockets, I don't know why you're buying skinny deals. Yeah, that's a good, really good point. I think and and some investors who take this seriously are gonna understand this. Like every penny that you think is cash flow on those deals, you need to keep in the bank. For when you have the vacancies, when you have the repairs. And you may think, well, like I was doing, I was selling them on lease options. So I don't have to worry about repairs, right? And if I had to find a new tenant, I'll just advertise it as a handyman special and get the new tenant in there to fix it up. But um, man, I, I I thought I was doing everything right, but I was just ignoring the fundamentals and I was not setting aside the money. Man, when I got some cash flow, when I got that option deposit money from the tenant buyer, I was already spending it. And then you get into this vicious cycle where all of a sudden, you're using this extra saving money that you have to pay these mortgage payments on these vacant houses, right? Then you start getting more desperate to get anybody who can fog a mirror into your houses. So you start taking better, or you start taking worse and worse tenants and tenant buyers into your properties who then trash the property, who stop paying in three, four months later. And then it's just this vicious cycle downwards. Yeah, horribly People vicious are cycle. smart enough to stay out of that, you know? Yeah, well, it's tough, right? Because like the, the greatest challenge, what was it? It's, it's not, the greatest challenge isn't uh, not knowing. The greatest challenge is believing something that's actually not true, right? And I think that's kind of where we're, we're running into is that if you think you can zero cash flow this thing into prosperity and have a rude awakening. Well, let me ask you, did you ever meet anybody from the crash who went into foreclosure, bankruptcy, jail for mortgage fraud, who was debt-free and had a lot of cash in the bank? No. No. I no. didn't. <laughs> no. Now I'm not I don't want to get into the debt is bad thing, you know, but I think there is a point where you can be over leveraged. We have a mutual friend, I won't say who, but I disagree with him vehemently. His thought thing is refi till you die, baby. 
That's his thing. And I just think, oh my gosh, that cannot be good. Refi constantly in and out until you, you know, well, all right, let, I want to ask you some more questions. This has been really good. Uh, novations. Novations is a strategy that's been gaining a lot of popularity for the last few years. Um, are you seeing, are you doing it yourself? Are you seeing other wholesalers doing it? And is that going to keep on going? Uh, and so, uh, novations have been good, right? And we have a, a peer that does extremely well, right? Eric Brewer with Novations, like he does extremely well with it. Uh, so we're rolling something out. Not we, when I say we, not myself, but there's another group of guys in, in, in uh, South Carolina. And I posted, posted this in a family mastermind group. Uh, these guys are doing agreements for sale and closing in seven to 14 days and then paying the homeowner when they flip it. So I think that in a lot of markets- An agreement for sale, how is that different than an ovation? An agreement for sale is that I own it after seven to 14 days and then I pay you in full in four to six months. So you're kind of doing a subject two for four to six months. Correct. Are they taking title to the property? Taking title to the property. So now you can sign the, the listing agreement. So you don't have to worry about putting equitable title, equitable owner. Like you are the owner, right? So you can sign the listing agreement. You can sign the purchase contract. You can sign the settlement statement at the end, right? The deed is held at escrow in a trust, right? So like you don't have to worry about like, what's the word? You don't have to worry about the first homeowner getting taken advantage of. But now you don't have to worry about like, uh, sellers changing their minds because you're closing in seven to 14 days. In Arizona, we can close in two or three days, right? We, our title moves pretty fast. So we can take title instantly, nearly instantly. We don't have to worry about seller changing their mind because I'm the owner. We don't have to worry about seller clouding title and getting additional loans. We don't have to worry about them, someone else snaking our deal. There's a lot of advantages here. And that's something that we're going to be doing. We're doing a big uh, promotion in 11 days, Black Friday. That'll be cool. I'd like to see that. And so is there a balloon? Do you have some kind of because you're doing like a subject to, you're taking over the mortgage, you're taking title to the property. How long of a time period are, is the seller giving you to do this? So it's generally what you negotiate, but I mean, we would recommend, these guys are recommending four months. I talked to my title company, I got clearance for six months, right? Six months is about the limit they feel comfortable doing this. And if you can't get into this move in six months, well then the property reverts back to the homeowner, right? So we have the clause written in place where we can't get this in six months, you take the property back. But the money I gave you to close is your money. Right? So there's no dispute on earnest money because me releasing the funds to you gives me that equitable ownership that allows me to be on title to make all the decisions. Nice. So are you giving the seller some money at closing in two weeks? Yes. The first leg of the closing, you know, ideally a thousand bucks, but it's whatever you negotiate. Uh, I had one that I closed a couple of weeks ago. I gave him 10,000. It was a uh, first time I did it. So I wouldn't recommend doing 10,000. <laughs> but lot, in that right? instance, in that, in that instance, you know, we gave him 10,000. Uh, but a thousand is, uh, is what these guys are doing. Actually, I think some of these, some of their transactions are doing 500 bucks. I used to do this too, um, where I would give the seller a promissory note. So I'd give them something now and I'd give them a second position note for whatever they were going to get later on. Right. So their, their interest would still be secured, uh, against the property. Are you doing that as well? You're giving them a promissory note to pay them or is that just part of the agreement? It's part of the agreement for sale. So they get the balance in six months. Okay. Very cool. I love that. And I like that too, because you're doing kind of a subject too, but it's a short-term thing, right? And your goal then is to fix it up, just clean it out, maybe wholesale it. No, get in and out as quickly. Like, just like we were saying earlier, get in and out, get, get in, get out, right? Bare minimum to make this financeable for someone to buy it. Okay. And so this is, I like this better than a novation strategy. You're not knocking novations because if you do it right, they're very, very profitable. But like, you can actually go to the realtor, say, I own this property. I'm on title. Here it is, right? Yeah, look at the tax records right there. It says Steve Trang. He's the owner. Nice. Super cool. All right. Uh, let me see. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about realtors. Commissions. 
right? This big lawsuit in Kansas City, Missouri. I think if I remember right, the, the, the award the jury awarded was like $1.8 billion. The judge said, yeah, that's not enough. $5 billion, right? Yeah, trouble damages. Yep. Yeah, whatever that means. And then next year, there'll be an even bigger lawsuit happening in Illinois. This first one is only like three or four brokers, and then two of them like settled. But this one in Illinois, they're going after like 20 brokerages, like the Remax and the Keller Williams and the big ones. And they're, they're, they're trying to get like $20 billion on this lawsuit. So that's the big Mac daddy that's happening soon here. Already, I was looking the other day in Redfin at a property, and they used to disclose the buyer's agent commissions. But now it says, I forget the wording it used, but it had like contact realtor for, they had like a phone number there. Like they wouldn't say what it was, just call the realtor to find out, I guess, what it was or something. This is changing a lot of things. I don't know if we know yet how or what, but what are you seeing in terms of how this is changing the realtor broker? Because you're licensed too yourself, right? Yeah. So I believe Redfin was one of the first brokerages to opt out of the MLS after everything changed, right? So if they're opting out of the MLS- Just recently, you mean? Yeah, right right around the timing of the lawsuit. Like right before the lawsuit dropped, like the settlement dropped, I believe Redfin opted out of being an MLS. Or they opted out of the National Association of Realtors. National Association of Realtors, which then goes back to the MLS. Right, because the MLS is a place for all the realtors to collaborate. So if you're at Redfin, the Redfin entity, my understanding, right? Like, don't crucify me if I'm wrong. My understanding is that they don't have to be because Redfin is no longer uh, a licensed real estate brokerage, right? Like they're licensed real estate agents, but they're not realtors. And so if they're not realtors, then their agents not to be realtors. So the agents don't have to participate in the MLS. Right. So people don't know that it is optional to be a part of the National Association of Realtors. It's like a union. It's really a cartel, my opinion, right? But like, sure, you can be sure that's a not un, that's agent. not unfair, right? <laughs> I didn't mean to do those so, balloons. I got to figure out. Turn so if you look at yeah, like if you're a real estate agent or a realtor, so who is a real estate agent? Is not a realtor. Generally, if you're not practicing or you're a commercial agent, right? Like those are the real estate, agents, right? Are we doing land? Realtors are part of the National Association of Realtors. They have to buy by a code of ethics, and so yeah, I think with this change, they're removing cooperation between real, uh, listing agents and buyer agents in the future. It's not mandated but you're no longer required to pay a buyer's agent. And we're seeing this in New York, I believe effective January 1st in New York, the listing brokerage is no longer pay, no longer allowed to pay the buyer's bro- brokerage. Wow. So then the buyer's agent is no longer getting compensated. So this is going to dramatically, I believe, impact the real estate industry. Like you can say, you know, if we were worth 6%, we were worth 6% and all these other things. I, I foresee a, a future where there's no one representing buyers, uh, or if they're representing buyers, they have to negotiate, you know, I don't know, a flat fee. But then that's the case. Now you got no problem in the past of underserved minorities, underserved communities. They're going to be underserved again, right? And this my camera has frozen. So I am talking right now. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my camera. Sorry about that. It was the balloon situation. <laughs> but keep on talking. Even though I look like I'm, this is funny. All right. Anyway, sorry. Well, you look intently focused, which I appreciate. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the buyer agents or I think the, the people that get hurt the most in the grand scheme of things is going to be the, the first time home buyers, the underserved communities, right? Like if you look at all the places where you had blockbusting, redlining, you know, African-Americans, Hispanics getting taken advantage of. Like if you look at it historically, right? I think they're the communities that are going to get hurt. Interesting. It, right? Because you look at like, what are the demographics? So you still generally? think redlining and blockbusting, whatever it's called, you think that's still going on? I think it's coming back. I think it's been gone. Oh. I think it's coming back. Interesting. Right? Why would Joe, a licensed realtor, show a home to someone 
who can't afford to pay his commission and no one else is paying his commission. Why would Joe ever do that? He wouldn't, right? So then who would Joe represent? The guy that can afford his fee. Well, if you're hard up to pay a down payment and closing costs, how the heck are you going to pay a commission? So I think if you look at the demographics, unfortunately, who gets hurt? Underserved community, the minorities, it's going to happen again. Well, that's the realtor. That's the argument the realtors have been making through this whole thing is like, hey, this is going to hurt more people than it helps. A hundred percent. I firmly believe that. What do you think the answer is? What is there anything we can the do? The answer about it? is to leave it alone. We had free market capitalism figuring this problem out, right? Like we had a solution that was it the perfect solution? Maybe not, but it was a solution that's worked well for, for the longest time. Uh, the arguments that were inflating prices, it's true everywhere, right? Like price, the price of gas going up automatically inflates prices everywhere, right? Like, yeah, is, is, does it affect the pricing? Sure, but it affected the pricing across the board. So the argument is that this was hurting people because it was making the prices of the homes more expensive. So be it. These are the inefficiencies of free market capitalism, right? Like deal with it. But if you want to change it and have a different model, fantastic, right? But the general public has to be okay with the fact that the underserved communities are the ones that get hurt. That's interesting. So if you're a realtor and um, you've represented buyers in the past or um, and usually, you know, it's the beginning realtors who just got into the business that usually help the buyers. What are you going to see? How, how does a realtor need to adjust and how do you take advantage of this situation? If you're a person that's historically worked with buyers, you're going to have to work with a strong listing agent. You're going to have to get a less of a cut, I believe, right? This is the future. I can't say for sure. But like historically, if you're working on my team, I'm a listing agent. Joe's working for me as a buyer's agent. We agree to split the fees 50-50, right? Like I get leads, I give them to you, you close them, I get 50%, right? I think probably what's going to happen is you're going to get less because buyer's agent is going to be less valuable in this dynamic now. And you're no longer representing the buyer, right? Because you're working for me. You're working on my team on this deal. So you, even though you're showing the buyer, Joe, you and I are on the same team representing the seller. Yeah. That's the dynamic. You know, let's say I, I want to... I want to sell my house. I want to buy a new house. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Am I going to am I going to call a buyer's agent and say, "Hey, I, I want to find a house. Can you help me? Can you show me this house?" And that buyer's agent, what are they going to say? They say, "Well, all right, but let's talk about commissions. You're going to have to pay me. You're going to have to pay me, or either you're either going to have to pay me right as a as your agent, or if you're doing your transaction with me, it might be a situation where you pay me six percent and I list your house, right? And someone on my team is going to represent not represent, show buyers the property, right? Your house, right? Not representing, but showing, right? And then me, if you're working with me, I'm only going to show you houses where I represent the seller because that's how I'm getting paid. <laughs> well, that's that's not fixing the problem that they were hoping to fix. That's making it worse. I mean, according to the lawsuit, we're making things better. But why would I show you a house I'm not getting paid on? I'm a commission-based person. Why would any realtor want to represent any buyers, period? Because they're not going to be getting paid enough for it. Yeah. Hmm. What's going to happen? You know, I, I think Jerry Norton said this in one of his videos recently. I thought this was a really interesting perspective that the, the, the industry is going to change and there's going to be a period of time. Yeah, there'll be a period of time, maybe one or two years when the realtors, if you're an agent, if you understand how these changes are going to work, you could take advantage of it in a certain sense and actually really prosper. So there'll be realtors that do really, really well. They'll like make a ton of money with these changes and another probably larger group of realtors that will be crushed. There'll, there'll be no middle ground, right? Yeah. And so what's going to be interesting to see is how these agents that are willing to adapt. And you know, this is, 
there's a book, Who Moved My Cheese? And, and I've been thinking about this through this whole conversation because the market's always changing. And it's going to be real interesting to see where that cheese is moving to in the broker realtor world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think hopefully someone smarter than us will come up with a great solution, right? That helps everybody, I hope. But realistically, I don't believe if they did, if that changed him along and it works out well, that actually truly benefits all parties, it's probably five years away. So. I just hope to God the government doesn't get involved. It's kind of, oh God, that'd be the worst. Imagine they're going to create some, or they're going to put Frank it too. underneath the uh, CFB. What is that? The CFPB? Yeah. Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Yeah. That'd be, that, that'd be great. That's great. Yes. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. I think it's Thomas Jefferson said, that, or maybe it was Abraham Lincoln, that um, if, if government is the answer, it's a stupid question. <laughs> I would right? agree with that. Well, hey, man, we've been talking about a lot of things, Steve. I sure appreciate your time. Sorry about my camera mishaps. This is a better, bite. This is a better angle anyway here, I think, for me. Yeah. What do you do? Like how you have a great podcast. Talk about how they can find you. You have a great program on sales training um, called Real Estate Disruptors. But talk about what you do a little bit. Yeah, so we do a podcast. So Joe's going to be on here in January uh, where we interview the best operators across the country. People that are actually doing deals. How do we know? Because we vet them. Right, so we bring in the best operators across the country, and they we get a behind the scenes, behind the curtains look and how they run their business. Because I'm going to ask them questions, specific questions about how they run their business. So that's what we have in real estate disruptors. On the other side of that is I'm a sales trainer. We work with house buyers across the country. We help people figure out. We help people implement a process that gets you more appointments, more signed contracts that show up on closing day at deeper margins. And the way we do that, the, 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 if I can summarize it, there's two things that are always happening. A, I truly understand what it is you truly want. So we have a whole process to understand what someone truly wants, right? Like what's going on inside their head. And then B, we validate them. You know, the greatest need we have as, as humans, fellow humans, is this desire to be seen, to be appreciated, to be understood, not to be treated like a bag of money, right? Most, not most, but a large number of wholesalers. It's a very transactional business. If you seek to serve, you seek to understand the other person and validate them, you're going to win in the long run. So we have that program, uh, joemccall.com slash Steve, if you want to find out more. And this is a process that we use to train people across the country that buy a significant number of homes. <laughs> My stupid camera. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. All right. There is the link right there. Okay. joemccall.com slash Steve. And what will they get when they go to that link? Yeah, so you get access to our community. So our community, we have uh, 100 plus people uh, that are actively buying houses. You get three live calls every single week uh, with our sales trainers. And you get access to all our courses that we recorded in the past and one that we are literally re-recording today, right? So in January 1st, we're going to be uh, releasing an updated version of our sales masterclass. Anyone that's inside the community gets instant access to our sales masterclass. Nice. And the cool thing about this, guys, I'm telling you, I, I go to a lot of masterminds, big high-level groups of investors, and Steve is the go-to guy for all things sales training, all right? Now, whether you're a realtor, whether you're an investor, whether you're a rehabber, wholesaler, do commercial, residential, vacant land, sales is the million-dollar skill. I always say this too, if you're not on that phone, you're not making money. And if you don't, if you don't want to be the guy on the phone, then you need to find people that will be on the phone for you. So Steve teaches how to find those sales guys, how to train them, how to build a team and the mechanisms and the systems to, to manage all of that. So go to joemccall.com slash Steve. That will redirect you to Steve's link if you want more information about what he does. Um, and then to, to find your podcast, your YouTube videos, they just, what do they search for, Steve? 
Real estate disruptors. Simple. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you, Steve, in January. Not sure yet. We're trying to work our schedule with your guy. I'll have my people contact your people and get something scheduled. <laughs> Perfect. But like, let's play golf or something, right? And if you don't want to play golf with me, you, you know somebody there, I'm sure, who has a membership at a really nice exclusive uh, club. So hook me up, would you? Yeah, I'll figure something out. I have a set of clubs that I've used once. I bought it like a year and a half ago. Maybe we'll break it out again. It'll be cool because now I can finally get to play with somebody that I'm better than. Oh, for sure. You're going to win. You're, you're going to win for sure. There's no That'll question be about awesome. that. <laughs> Steve Trang, ladies and gentlemen, go to joemccall.com slash Steve. Go find his podcast and YouTube videos, um, Real Estate Disruptors. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a good podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. All right. We'll see you guys later. Take care. Bye-bye.